You're listening to DraftKings Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Amin, did you catch it Monday night in Cleveland? I'm literally having the time of my life right now. The game is such a beautiful thing. and Oh, man. No one's had this much fun in prison since George Bluth. You love it here? Oh, I'm having the time of my life. The fans were giving LeBron James a standing ovation for passing Karl Malone for number two all time in the scoring column. He didn't even do it that night. He did it a couple nights earlier in Washington. I don't even know what they're, they're glomming onto there, trying to like be part of the moment. Sickens me. Yeah, you know what that was all about, right? Oh, we talked about this on, I believe, episode two of Basketball Illuminati. The wheels are in motion, ladies and gentlemen, and no one will give us credit for it because we had it first and we had it on this illustrious podcast, but he's going back to Cleveland. That's the next stop after this right here. Yeah. Kevin Love tried to take a charge. LeBron James after the game saying he wanted him to move away and he was asked about it after the game saying, oh, that's my least favorite dunk. It's all a ploy because, you know, LeBron James, he's got to make his stamp on Cleveland and audition for Cleveland to maybe make a trade for him this summer. Like, that's what this is all about. By the way, that headlock held on for a little too long there. A beat too long (laughs) on that headlock. That Kevin Love threw at LeBron. One of those, ha-ha, you play too much. And then they still don't release me. I said, you play too much. That's one way to clear cap space is just to put somebody six feet under with that dunk. <laughs> Woo-wee! LeBron! Look out below! Oh, oh my lord. Below! Oh, my lord. In fact, somebody just spilled a oh, beer all over us. Where did that come from? Great. My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. 
Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but... all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> Welcome to Basketball Illuminati. I'm Tom Haberstroh, as always, joined by my comrades, Amin El Hassan and Anthony Mays, our producer. We're going to go forward and talk about Russell Westbrook and a theory of mine that I have about him that no one's willing to admit about Russ. Oh, theories. You know, I'm all into theories. And actually, it's not a theory because I actually have actual evidence of this. We're going to talk about Russell Westbrook later. We're also going to talk about a blood feud of Draymond Green with the referees and something that people don't know of the backstory of what happened the other night. I mean, sounds like you did some research. That's right. In that segment that I like to call Tom did his own research. We're going to talk about Draymond and the referees. But first... Listening to the agenda with Amin El Hassan and Tom Haberstroh. What everyone wants to talk about right now is probably LeBron doing some amazing things on the floor, the scoring title. But I think also what we need to spend some real time on is the people we aren't seeing. The mainstream media is in love with the stars of the NBA. And have you noticed how many stars in the league are being shut down for the rest of the season? Name them. Ben Simmons, Zion Williamson, Damian Lillard, Paul George. What happened to Paul George? Kawhi Leonard, Mm. Jonathan Isaac, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, Mm -hmm. Anthony Davis. What's going on with Anthony? Kemba Walker, probably the weirdest story of the season, Kemba Walker in New York. And then lastly, Bradley Beal. All those guys are being shut down because of injuries and various things that they're dealing with. But the weirdest one is T.J. Warren. Did you catch this, Maze, the T.J. Warren story? Oh, T.J. Warren. I remember T.J. Warren. Dropped a 50-burger. Bubble T.J.? Oh, man, he was great. He was the best. What happened to him in Indiana? He hadn't heard much from him in Indiana, right? Like this year, he's coming up on free agency, and the Indiana Pacers put out a press release about T.J. Warren, and it's got to be one of the biggest plot twists of any press release I've read in a long time. And me, did you catch that one? I did. I was very amused. But for those who didn't catch it, why don't you give it a read there, Tom? Okay. Here's the press release that went out on March 17th. The Pacers announced that TJ Warren has been ruled out for the season. My guy, Scott Agnes, reports the quote from the Pacers organization. Our organization's guiding principle will always center on a holistic approach to our players' health and prioritizing their overall well-being. 
said Pacers president of basketball operations, Kevin Pritchard. He continues, TJ Warren has worked incredibly hard over the past 14 months to get to this point, a full participant in on-court activity with his teammates, all while navigating the many challenges that accompany this type of injury. Seems like good news, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds like he's back on the court. It's exciting. Pacers fans, get ready. Buckle in. TJ Warren coming back. But no, Pritchard continues. However, after thoughtful conversation with TJ and his representatives, it has been determined that the most beneficial course of action at this point is to allow him to focus on the 2022-23 season. We will continue to provide TJ with all the care, support, and resources necessary to ensure that he returns to the high level of play to which he's accustomed. That's a really awkward last sentence, to, to which he's accustomed to finish that out. I mean, what's going on here, I mean? All of this is awkward. And I, let me submit to you guys a theory that I've come up with. Now, again, this is a theory. I'm asking questions. I don't necessarily know this to be fact, but I do know patterns when I see one. And the pattern that I see in almost all of these cases is player gets hurt, team tells us, he'll fine, he'll be back at any time. He'll be back soon. And then they never come back. Remember Bradley Beal hurt his wrist? And what were we told? We were told, oh, he should be out for a couple of games. Yeah, he's going to miss the next two games and be reevaluated. We'll see a specialist. And then, boom, out for the rest of the season. Same thing happening with Zion Williamson. We started with David Griffin, executive VP of basketball ops for the New Orleans Pelicans, telling us on media day, he'll be back for the regular season, which everyone took to mean he'll be back for the start of the regular season. Start the regular season came. David Griffin wriggled through that loophole of, well, I said he'd be back for the regular season. I didn't say what part of the regular season. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. So then we go through most of this regular season. Some antics, you know. And the guy's training in Portland and he's not with the team and he's not hitting up people and all that stuff. So then we get this big hoopla. Oh, he's back in New Orleans. Oh, he went to church. Oh, he went shopping at a grocery store. Look at his dogs. Look how they have zero cheeks. We had all of these photographs <laughs> of Zion. Oh, he's lost the weight. And we said, okay, so he's going to come back. And then we get the news this weekend. Nope. Done. Shut it down for the rest of the year. Well, at least David Griffin meant next season. Oh. Right? He'll be back next season. He didn't say which regular season. That's a good point. Wow. He didn't specify. You also got Kemba Walker, who is healthy and clearly went to loggerheads with the Knicks, but they couldn't figure out a trade or a buyout for him. I submit to you guys, in almost all of these cases, the teams knew immediately that their guy was done for the season. I mean, none of these front office executives are medical doctors. None of them understand the complex nature of the human body, the way that it heals, the obstacles that you have to overcome. How can these guys put accurate timelines on these players? I'll tell you what they do understand. They understand optics. They understand optics and the concept of hope. You can't, in calendar year 2021, Tell the rest of the world Damian Lillard ain't coming back. You've got to play. you got to keep up this pantomime that, oh, no, it's, like it's just we're going to try and keep the ship afloat until Dame can come back. They're doing it because they know how bad it looks and sounds if they tell you the truth. They are purposely obfuscating the truth in order to manage expectations and string people along a little bit at a time. Wait, you're saying, you're suggesting that 
they knew from the beginning, but to keep fans engaged and hopeful and not writing off the season, maybe season tickets are on the line or they want to make sure that people are going out there and still buying that Kemba Walker jersey because, hey, he might come back or Bradley Beal, he might come back and he's not going to leave as a free agent this summer. They're just stringing along the fans. Think about the Clippers. Paul George and Choir out for the year. Now, mind you, they haven't announced this. But they do the little breadcrumb thing of like, well, there's a a chance and he's progressing. They do all that to keep you engaged on a Clipper season that we know for a fact, if those guys aren't healthy, is a meaningless season. Might as well punt it. I mean, I'm used to this Clippers level of obfuscation, all right? We've got reports of Kawhi Leonard allegedly shooting at practices like he's Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> People see him emerging from the shadows to shoot a baseline jumper. Grainy footage. But I'm not used to this Kemba Walker, TJ Warren situation where they're not even trying to hide it anymore. They say they're healthy, but we've decided together that they're not going to play. I wonder sometimes what that means for us as a podcast. If we're so hell-bent on uncovering the truth, what happens when we reach a day where these teams in the league don't even bother lying anymore? They don't even bother covering their tracks. They're telling you bluntly to your face, yeah, it ain't happening. This is how it's going to be. It does make me think, is there a place for us in this podcast universe? Got real introspective there for a second. I don't know why. Both of you have spent your entire careers learning the language of the NBA front office only for them to speak in plain text. Right. To scrap the language and just speak in good old fashioned English. Well, we don't know for a fact that it's mutual, right? Because we had our truth teller, Stan Van Gundy, dispute the notion that the Pelicans had mutually decided to part ways with Stan last year. And he came out and said, that not true. So even though they're saying mutually, You don't think Kemba Walker truthfully wants to be out there and playing at Madison Square Garden? I think that's the lie. Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that being an area where they are shrouded in secrecy. Yeah. The real motivations behind it are not, in fact, held unanimously by all parties involved, but are instead an edict coming from above. I could see that, Tom. Ah, Thank God. Our podcast is saved. We're back, baby. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> Big bong. Yes. Yeah. The other thing here is is the Denver Nuggets, right? Because there were reports that Jamal Murray was coming back and practicing with the G League team. False flag. Michael Porter Jr. too. They're on the comeback trail. There are reasons for optimism. Get excited. And then Coach Michael Malone comes out the other day and he takes a big bucket of cold water and truth and dousing it all over the flame of hope that was burning brightly for Denver, making people think, oh my gosh, Jokic, and then you get Porter Jr. and Murray back, and all of a sudden, here come the most dangerous team in the West, the Nuggets. Michael Malone just said, "Uh -uh." and all that remains now is this wisp of smoke that is the reality of what's happening. This Nuggets season, again, is headed to what I believe to be a dead end. Probably the most clutch performance in this department is Ben Simmons. <laughs> oh, I, I saved the best for last, Tom. Because when Ben Simmons got traded, it was, oh, you just got to get ready, conditioning. Yeah. Then it was back tightness. Mm. And then we found out that the back tightness led to an epidural shot. And the latest we've got is that he's got a 
herniated disc in his back. From carrying the weight of all those expectations. Yes, yes. The back injury from getting up and down from the bench and cheering on his teammates taking down Philadelphia. Yeah, Ben Simmons doesn't look like he's going to be coming back to make the big three for Kyrie and KD. So this is my interesting take on this. Obviously, on a net season that's had its fair share of turmoil, hard demanding a trade, whether it's uh, Kevin Durant's injury, Kyrie Irving not being able to play home games. What Ben Simmons represents is that flame of hope. That if he can get out there, oh my God, he's a game changer for us defensively, guard five positions, rebound, really be something that we haven't had in Brooklyn. And then offensively, his playmaking skills, his transition effectiveness, all these things conspire to take Brooklyn from an eight seed to perhaps the best team in the Eastern Conference, regardless of where they're seated. That's the hope they want us to hold on to. But the reality is he's not coming back. None of these guys are coming back. And you're just being a putz, a patsy, if you want to keep believing that. Matt, the sheep out there. Sheeple. Taking what the people are offering at face value, right? Face They'll value. be back soon. They'll be back soon. Keep the hope alive. No. What I look like, face value. Well, luckily for Ben Simmons, Steve Nash is his coach, and no one knows more about herniated discs than Steve Nash. I remember him oh. lying down courtside during games just so he could get back in the mix. Surely Ben could do something like that, and Steve Nash would know about it, right? You no, know, I mean, Steve, I wouldn't call him foremost. I would say I'm number one no. because I'm on this podcast. I'm no, like, don't. I had a herniated disc. I had to get an epidural. I took the medications. I did the the... the uh, the corrective exercises. Yeah, he can't even name it, Maze. He can't even name <laughs> what he's been taking. He's saying he's the foremost. It's the drugs. The drugs I took fried my brain. There's all types of side effects that they don't tell you about. I learned the hard way. But no, I guess Steve is also an expert of some sorts. Again, I think they know that he ain't coming back. But if you said he's out for the year, number one, you kind of throw cold water on the flame of hope that is your season being a championship one. But second of all, they understand that it'll put some more pressure on him, that people will begin to ask if the Nets traded for damaged goods, not only upstairs, but downstairs. Oh, we can't have that. I mean, nope, we can't have that. Well, we, we have eight all-stars who are being shut down before the end of the season. I can't remember a time like this. I mean, remember Anthony Davis a couple of years ago when he was about to be shut down for trade mm-hmm. purposes and the Pelicans got in trouble for that. And so he had to play like 20 minutes a game, but it was all a facade. It was all a joke because Anthony Davis was being benched at the end of games when they're trying to win. They keep their best player on the floor. That was ugly too. Right. But I will say this. I think you guys are missing the boat on Ben Simmons. The reason why he's out has nothing to do with his back. Oh, what's that? Because he's in the lab reworking his shot, shooting with the correct hand. Something you have to take a lot of time away from the game to do. You can't do it mid-season. You can't do it on the fly like some other player in the NBA. So guys, you know, Russell Westbrook has had a really difficult season in LA Ah, this year. That's putting it lightly. Westbrook chance, the confrontations with him and another person on or off the court being benched late in games. It's been bad. I mean, it's been bad. It hasn't been good. That's for sure. The microscope has never been more zeroed in on Westbrook than any point in his career. And yet sometimes the people, the media... When they get locked in onto a story, they get hyper-focused 
we lose the bigger picture. Mm. People are so focused on the trees mm. that they miss the forest. Mm. People are so obsessed with the bricks that they forget about the foundation. Oh, he's preaching now, folks. Architecture. I think that's what's happening here with Russell Westbrook. Okay. I'm with you. I'm going to say something right now that might seem controversial, but when you open your mind, it will become obvious to you. Open our third eye. Open it up. You ready? I hope so. Yeah, let's do it. I believe Russell Westbrook is shooting with the wrong hand. <laughs> what? What? You're crazy, Tom. Get the hell out of here. Talk about a goddamn MVP. All-star eight million times over. One of the top 76 players in the history of the NBA. Yeah, laugh all you want, but that MVP could have been unanimous. Was he unanimous? <sighs> no. Wasn't. You know why? Because there's only been one of those in the history of the NBA. Right, right. But let's be honest, okay, guys? You've been watching Russell Westbrook over the years. Some of these jumpers, these ugly jumpers, have been so bad. How it clanks off the side of the backboard. How you hear the crowd just going, oh, like they just saw a dog get run over on the court. When Carl Anthony Towns is making you the butt of the joke, it's a problem. And honestly, sometimes it feels like... Russell Westbrook has forgotten how to shoot a basketball, that some of these jumpers are so mechanical. It looks like someone who is shooting with their offhand. Ah, I mean, okay, I'll keep going, keep going. I want to see where you're going with this. Doesn't it feel sometimes that it looks like a right-handed person shooting lefty or a lefty shooting righty? I suppose, maybe. What if I told you that that is exactly what is going on here? What? What do you mean? Royce Young, who has spent most of his adult life covering Russell Westbrook. In 2016, the Russologist Royce Young wrote a True Who Presents story titled, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Russell Westbrook but we're afraid to ask. Royce, the truth teller, tells us 39 facts about Russell Westbrook that you may or may not know about the man, the myth, the legend. Mm -hmm. And right near the top, guys, right near the top of that list, he is left-handed. What? What? No way. You got to stop dropping these bombshells when I'm drinking. Left-handed? Left. What? Handed. How long has this been a fact? This is something that I think when we look back on the history of Russell Westbrook, we can say, what if? What if naturally he shot with his natural hand? As Royce writes in his story, Westbrook does everything with his left hand. He signs autographs, brushes his teeth, and throws a football. Really? Except shoot a basketball. Is there any explanation why did he like break his left hand when he was a kid and was forced to shoot righty? Why did he choose to shoot righty? There's no explanation. Royce just left it. Oh, he left it. Westbrook does everything with his left hand, sign autographs, brush his teeth, throw a football, except shoot a basketball. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. That's insane. I don't do a single thing left-handed. I'm big right all the way. So Russell Westbrook is naturally left-handed. He is born left-handed. He is not ambidextrous, folks. He is left-handed. Just because he can shoot a basketball with his right hand mediocrely does not make him ambidextrous, right? Because everything in his life, he does left-handed. To be clear, that's not the first time. LeBron James famously is left-handed. But shoots with the right hand. That's right. And I believe shooting a basketball is the only thing he does with the right hand as well. Right. And he was asked about this once before in the playoffs. And he said, there's no rhyme or reason. His best explanation was that he wanted to be like MJ or Penny Hardaway. Wow. That's his only explanation. Wow. 
So you're just copying without knowing like, oh, you're not supposed to do it in your non-dominant hand. That's pretty crazy. Back in 2016, Royce Young tweeted out a clip from a post-game interview with Russ's teammate, Steven Adams. The question was from a reporter that was a result of Russell Westbrook dunking with his left hand, a game winner, a game clincher on Clint Capella's head. Mm-hmm. People were like, wow, he dunked with his left hand. And I'm sitting here being like, well, that's the natural way to do it. And the reporter asked Adams if Russell Westbrook was trying to tell us something. I just wanted to prove that he's yeah. ambidextrous, that lefty dunk. He's amphibious. Yeah, that's right. It's amphibious, man. It's amphibious if you just run left. No, that was amazing. He's amphibious. <laughs> that's Steven Adams. How droll. Yeah, classic response, I mean. Make a joke about it. Deflect. Instead of answering it straight on, right, I mean? You see the tactics? You see the trickery at work? All of the bag of misdirects at his disposal right there. Wasn't Russell trying to tell us something? That right. he's left-handed, right? That he can do this. But no, make a joke out of it. Make him the butt of the joke. Ambidextrous, more like amphibious. Amphibious, mate? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So here are the facts, right? Russell Westbrook is a career 30% three-point shooter. Among the 165 players in the NBA, in NBA history, who have taken at least 2,500 three-pointers in their career. He ranks 165th in three-point field goal percentage. Dead last, I mean. No, I was doing the math there. Dead last. You beat me to the punch. Not only is he the worst high-volume shooter, he's also the most confident. Yes, takes a lot of confidence. A lot of why not to do that. 2,500 three-pointer attempts by Russell Westbrook, shooting just 30%. So it's just the fact that shooting with his offhand, he is the worst high-volume three-point shooter of all time. Okay, Tom, this is what I don't get. Because, all right, he's not a great three-point shooter. We know that. But he's a pretty good free-throw shooter, right? Um, Why doesn't that translate over to that? Yeah, see, I thought the same thing. If you actually look at the numbers here, I mean, Mm -hmm. he was an elite free throw shooter. Underline was past tense. He used to be an elite free throw shooter. Russ went from shooting 82% for his career until a rule change in the 2017 offseason. A rule change? Rule change. What type of rule change did they do about free throws? You just stand at the line and shoot it. No, no. Russell Westbrook, uh, according to Royce Young, the Russologist reported on January 2nd, 2019 for ESPN, in an effort to crack down on time wasting at the free throw line, players were barred from walking beyond the three-point line between attempts. Westbrook's routine, one that he had used since he was eight years old was to shoot one, walk back to almost half court, gather himself, turn around, walk back, then shoot the second. (laughs) Oh, I get it. Yeah, totally. Yep. That's why we have such long NBA games, folks, because Russell Westbrook wants to walk to the free throw line. It's not all these reviews. It's not all these timeouts and stoppages of play at the end of games. Yeah, it's Russ walking to the half court. It's not all these reviews that apparently can't tell when someone who's outside the three-point line has just made a shot. Continue, Tom. 
So since that rule change, I mean, uh-huh. he is down to 69% free throw shooting for his career. Oh, nice. nice. You see what's happening here, right? You see what's happening here. The NBA tried to confine Russ, tried to put him in a box. It's not right. They would not let Russ be Russ. Hmm. I don't like it. I don't like it. So the three-pointers, the free throws, that only tells you part of this story. Uh-huh. Doesn't give you the full picture. We need to go back. We need to go and drill deeper into this story. Guys, have you ever noticed that Russell Westbrook finishes lefty better than righty? Wait, hold on. I'm assuming you're not bringing this up without having some sort of proof or numbers on your side, right? That's right. I mean, who among us don't finish lefty better than righty? Baby. So there is not an available database that tracks field goal percentage lefty or righty. I mean, I think you have mentioned before that there is one, but I could not find it publicly. You know what it was? Second Spectrum allows you to parse through all that stuff. Unfortunately, we do not have Second Spectrum subscriptions. And I suspect because you know why, Tom? why we don't have second spectrum subscriptions it's legitimately because they don't want us uncovering stuff like this they purposely lock us out from access to the information sources the true black and white the ones that can't be manipulated in order to prevent us from telling the stories that we're trying to tell but tom me thinks you got around that didn't you yeah Yeah. Using the resource, the indispensable resource, Synergy Sports video, I was able to watch every Russell Westbrook shot from close range of the season. Every single one. Mm. And I charted left hand or right hand, middle, both hands, make or miss. And this is what I found. Mm. Russell Westbrook shoots better left-handed. Whoa. Okay. So when you say shoots better, I want to be clear here because I do know just using the eye test, He likes to go left a lot. Yes. Are you taking takes more shots on the left-hand side or going left? Or are you saying makes more shots going left? He takes fewer shots going left. I thought he took more, but after watching the videotape, he takes twice as many shots as a righty than left-handed. With his right hand, not going right as as in driving right, driving left. Right. So (laughs) he shoots 57% as a lefty around the basket and 51% as a righty. But interestingly enough, he shoots righty twice as often as lefty. 261 righty layups or dunks and then 138 as a lefty. So all of this alt-right, fake news media has brainwashed him to use his right hand, even though the truth is, I mean, the cold hard truth is he's not as good at it. He should be going left but they don't want him going left. Damn, big right at it again. Can't trust them. Brainwashing our superstars. As the parent of two left-handed children, I got to say, the world was not made for lefties. It's true. They try to reinforce that at every turn. Big right's always trying to make them drive right-handed, cook right-handed. The world is not set up for those free thinkers. Right-handed scissors. Ugh, disgusting. Oh, yeah. How do lefties do it? Got to just make do. Okay. Or go to Ned Flanders' Leftorium, or what's it called? Yeah, the Leftorium. <laughs> that's it. Yes. The voice of the voiceless, Ned Flanders. We got to get, this is serious stuff. Oh, okay, I'm this sorry. is not The Simpsons. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, Tom. So when we drill down even deeper, not just looking at the hands, right, left or right. Right. I actually looked at left side and right side. I mean, 
you know how it is. You've been on the court with these basketball players. You've trained basketball players. You've coached them up. You've talked to them. Right. When you're taught to shoot a lefty layup, it's always like left hand, left side is the natural way to do it. Right hand, right side, right? That's the natural way to do it. The opposite foot, right? So if you're going up on the left side, you go up off your right foot, lefty layup. Righty layup is the opposite. Right. You almost pretend that there's a string from your left elbow to your left knee. When you go up, go off your right leg, yep. leg goes up, right? Pulls it up. Left yep. hand, left side of the basket, the natural way, the way you're taught how to shoot. Russell Westbrook shoots 61%. Mm-hmm. But when he goes to his right hand on the left side, the wrong way to do it, the unorthodox one, the forced way to do it. He shoots just 49%. We're talking about layups, ladies and gentlemen. He misses more often than he makes it. Right hand, left side. So two other clues that he should be shooting lefty. He gets blocked more often using his right hand proportionally. Right. And he has fewer and ones shooting right-handed than he does left-handed. Meaning, as I see it, he finishes stronger through contact with his left hand, which makes sense. This makes sense. You know why? Because he's left-handed. He's a lefty. What are we doing here? You're a lefty. Taking it to the rack, just like brushing your teeth. Lefty. Why does he keep doing this? <sighs> yeah. What, what could possibly be the explanation for why he sticks to doing this despite being historically bad? Historically bad with his right hand. Yeah, that's what I don't really understand. The chants are coming out. Like, there is no better time than to switch, right? Change the conversation. What a cool story that would be is if he was like, you know what? I'm going to change. I'm going to go back to my natural way of shooting, the way I was born to do it. And I keep thinking of me and about this conversation that JJ Reddick had because I've always wondered why continue the facade, the act? Like, why keep it up? Right. Here's him talking about it with Mike Conley and All Star Lefty on the Old Man in the Three podcast. I feel like a lot of lefty players, like people that shoot left handed, are right handed, right? Mm-hmm. And. I've I've told DeAndre Jordan this, and I told Ben Simmons this. I think they both should shoot right-handed. I've seen them shoot right-handed. It's better form. Right. It's better form right-handed. They do everything else right-handed. I don't understand why you're shooting a basketball left-handed. Right, right. And I and I'm I think we all fall in that category. And I think for for those guys, it's like you're just afraid to do it. Afraid to do it? Afraid, Mike Conley? Afraid? Fear? What are you afraid of, lefties? Yeah, what are they so afraid of? Big right. You guys know Rashid Wallace could shoot righty and lefty. He would routinely shoot two balls at the same time. I mean, Rashid Wallace has no fear. Jason Richardson is another one. I remember in practice in Phoenix, he would shoot lefty threes and shoot them well, by the way. You know how usually when people shoot with their offhand, it looks very awkward and forced? Like maybe Russell Westbrook shooting with his right hand? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If you walked into a gym and saw Jason Richardson shooting left-handed, you wouldn't know that he wasn't left-handed. Wow. That's A, how good he is at making uh, three-pointers lefty, and B, how fluid he looks taking them. So, truth teller, KOC, Kevin O'Connor at The Ringer, he's been banging this drum for a while with regard to Ben Simmons, that Ben Simmons is shooting with the wrong hand. But to me, I think the bigger story here, the bigger what-if, is Russell Westbrook, because he's smaller. He's a point guard. And the lack of a jumper has very much crippled the Lakers' offense at times. I mean, 
doesn't this change everything if Russell Westbrook has a reliable jumper, a natural jumper that he can space the floor better for LeBron, that they're not playing him way back like Tony Allen? Like you watch this offense, what would it do to the Lakers hopes and the whole narrative of the Lakers if Russell Westbrook wasn't a terrible jump shooter? Dude, we say this all the time. We're not talking about he's got to shoot like Steph Curry. We're just saying, can you merely get to just plain bad or mediocre? Or average. We're not trying to get you to be an elite shooter. Can you just be an average shooter? And how much of that would change everything? I'm with you, Tom. I'm with you. You've opened my third eye to this. Russ, listen. Free your mind. Reject big right. Now, be yourself. You do what you want. Shoot left. Why not? Oh, I see what you did there. Very clever, Tom Havisor, ladies and gentlemen. High school, we just was going around and just doing a bunch of crazy things. Like, oh, you know, jumping off tables. Like, oh, why not? Let's do that. Why not? Why not? Why we did it for so long, so long. And along the way, you know, we used to be in class and be like, oh, okay, the teacher's like, oh, who wants to do, you know, this paper, this project? And we're like, we do it. Why not? It turned to this thing where we, it just, at least for me, I had this self-confidence, like I can do anything. So confident and just swagging around that we can do anything that we put our mind to. That became a slogan behind our basketball team. Why not us? Why not you? I can do whatever I put my mind to. It sounds simple, but like, you know, why not? Why, why, why can't it be me? Why can't I be the one to change this? Why can't I be the person to get this job? Why can't I be the person to do X, Y, and Z? And that's just, to me, that's something that I've been using and I try to use to be able to uh, inspire and impact other people. This is a lifestyle. This is how we believe in ourselves. Uh, you should try it. No, well, why not? Yes, I did some research, boys. Dum, dum, dum. I did some research. More? Did my own. Yep, yep. Oh, man, this guy never sleeps. We do this every week on this show. Tom did his own research, and boy, did I do some this week. On Sunday night, Draymond Green was ejected by a referee in the third quarter. It was a quick hook by all accounts. Listen in. He's just cutting back door. He got the ball. Oh, no. I'm just going to say, you, you got to be careful because Marat Kogan had heard enough, and now he's throwing Draymond Green out of the game. Draymond doesn't think he said enough to warrant that. Marat Kogan just had enough. So, mean Mays, the referee here is a man named Marat Kogit. He is a 13-year referee and longtime arch, nef- ar- arch nefes- nemesis. Arch nemesis. Arch nemesis. Arch. Well, how'd you get an F into nemesis? He said arch nef- nefesis. I don't know what you're doing. Nefariousness. Nefemesis. I don't know. 13-year veteran of the NBA referee corps. He has never been selected to be in the NBA playoffs despite 13 years of experience. And he is the longtime arch nemesis. Nephesis. Why do I want to keep saying that? Arch. Arch nemesis. Tom. Arch. Like an archway. Why can't I say this? Why don't you do some research on pronouncing arch nemesis? Arch nemesis. Arch nemesis. Thank you, Tom. Longtime arch nemesis of Draymond Green. There is a history, folks, between these two people. Let's dial it back. Jack, Kate, let's go back to 2019, March 2019. Ah, yes. Simpler times. That's right. We all remember those days. Hurley, where are you, buddy? Mm, We have to go back. Charlie. 
March 2019, there's a game between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Golden State Warriors. As I'm saying this, I can already feel the Golden State Warriors fans out there just getting really angry. This game. Is this the game where Steph hit the three and then started pointing at the ref and laughing? That's exactly right. <laughs> oh my God. This is one of my favorite moments. That's Marat Kogan. <laughs> Steph doesn't do this ever. Honestly, this is the part where I wish we were a TV show because then we could do the winning time thing where it's like you the freeze frame. That's Marat Kogan. <laughs> like that guy that Steph is laughing at right there. So that play happened. What you're remembering is Steph Curry hitting a three-pointer down three in overtime as time was expiring. But the play before that, the controversial play was Warriors down three in overtime with the ball. Andre Iguodala passes it in to Kevin Durant at the top of the key. And as he catches the ball, he goes into a shooting motion. There's like four seconds left and he gets fouled by a Minnesota Timberwolves defender. He makes the three-pointer. The foul call is whistled by Marat Kogut. And as the ball goes through the basket, Marat is just waving it off. Waving it off. No basket. So Marat Kogut says, it's on the floor. And the Warriors go berserk. KD for three. He made it! And he's fouled. Oh, they're going to say the fouls before the shot? It's impossible. you got to be crazy. Mike Callahan... He's going to talk to Marat Kogan on this. He had not begun the upward shooting motion. I don't think he was fouled until he was up in the air. Now four seconds left. You need to do it again. Curry for three. He made it! (laughs) They didn't foul! And they'll go to double overtime! Oh, Curry is really, really... There's five tenths left. He is pointing to Marat Kogan, saying... See, we told you so. They went on to lose, right? Steph Curry hits that shot, points at Marat Kogut. They lose the game. Afterwards, they unleashed. They went after this dude. Steph Curry was penalized $25,000 following his comments with reporters. Been back there looking at those calls over and over and over again and still don't understand either one of them. The KD four-point play, which puts pressure on them to, you know, with four seconds left, to have to get a bucket. And at the end of the game, nobody wants to see a game in like that with a crazy pass that had no chance of being caught and a, a soft foul that uh, should never have been called to decide the game like that. Guys out there fighting their ass off to play and compete and win the game by playing basketball. So it's just a tough way to go out. To go out. Is it worth calling your opinion? Uh, you have to ask the MVP of tonight, Mark Kogut. Steph, you know he's never spicy too. That's the giveaway right there. He was pissed. Like we got this kind of Steph after that. That's what Marat Kogut gets out of these Warriors. So the league fined him $25,000 for that one. And then KD comes in with this. Marat, this is his name? He was was the best player on the floor tonight. He made sure that, you know, he's he's so good with his whistle that he knew they were going to foul me and he caught it right before I shot the ball. So, you know, he's one of the greatest refs of all time. <laughs> the greatest. Marat. The greatest refs of all time. <laughs> like the end of the departed. Marat. <laughs> Called him Marat. Subtle. He knows what his name is. Cinephobe special edition episode number one, I believe, right? April Fools. April Fools from 2019. You know what's not a joke, though? What's that? What's not an April Fools joke? Not the officiating, I don't think. The biggest fine doled out by the league on that night was not KD, was not Steph Curry. Wait. It was for what Dr- 
Draymond Green did. He didn't even talk to reporters. What? And he got fined. How did he get fined bigger than the other two? Uh, that's downright disrespectful. Some real spice from KD and Steph there. What did Draymond do? Oh, get ready for this. Draymond at like four in the morning took it a step further and tweeted out the initials MK and TD in separate tweets. No, no, he didn't. Oh. No, he didn't. I mean, he could have been talking about anything. Mortal Kombat. Kombat. Tim Duncan. Touchdowns. Maybe he's picking a side in the Olsen twin debate. He's yeah. a big Mary Kate stan. Triple double. Who knows? I don't know how many people connected the dots there. The Illumin Army out there would have picked up on this. The NBA took issue with those two tweets because obviously what Draymond Green was doing was connecting Marat Kogut, MK, uh-huh. with Tim Donaghy, TD. The patron saint of Illuminati conversation, Tim Donaghy. Yeah. The disgrace draft. They always call him the disgrace draft, Tim Donaghy. That always makes me laugh. The guy who was betting on games, who was making phone calls to Scott Foster at a ridiculous rate. But let's move on. <laughs> Scott Foster, noted Warriors enthusiast, by the way. The Golden State Warriors forward Draymond Green has been fined $35,000 for making statements on social media, which impugned the integrity of NBA officiating. Mm, that's some good, good verbiage right there. Impugned the integrity. Mike Bastard. Backflips when he wrote that one. <laughs> Basketball impuninati. But folks, that's just the beginning. Once you dig in some more, this Marat Kogut Warriors story gets strange, suspicious even. After that cryptic tweet, the Warriors didn't see Kogut again for the rest of that season in the playoffs. Remember, he is a guy who the NBA does not think is good enough to make it into their postseason roster. We have uh, where he ranks on our chart. I like to tie in conversations from earlier episodes of Basketball Illuminati. Mm. I like this to be one rich tapestry, right? Our ratings, our ref ratings. Murat Kogut, a 2.22 on the five-point scale. Yikes. (laughs) That guy is an umpire if I've ever seen one. 2.2? Yeah, three is average. He's at a 2.22. A lot of Detroit-Orlando games for this guy. (laughs) Remember... At the end of that season, it was towards the end of the season, the regular season, that Minnesota Timberwolves won where three three different players on the Warriors got fined. Very rare that this happens. But when something strange happens like Marat Kogut, they speak up and the NBA silences them with some fines. So the end of that season, no more Marat Kogut or in the playoffs. But in the 2019 and 2020 season, the NBA assigned Marat Kogut to four Warriors games. In the fourth and final Warriors game was against the Lakers and Kogut called a foul on Draymond and Draymond promptly lit into him. Yes, the guy that he likened to Tim Donaghy. Draymond Green chewed him out. And Draymond Green irate and I believe he's been tossed. Yes, he's been ejected. Tyler Ford giving the signal and that's it for Draymond. Well, you knew that the way Draymond went at the official on the first occasion, that it was going to be tough for him not to pick up a second. LeBron kind of enjoying it right here. He's trying to hide behind him and laugh. He said he's going off. He's, he's going to get it. 
<laughs> I try to pop back like he didn't do anything. So the one who was actually throwing him out is Tyler Ford, another referee. He came into the rescue and ejected Draymond from the game. Like he came in from the right. opposite side. And as Draymond's lighting into Morocco, Tyler Ford just says, get out of here. And the Warriors would go on to lose by 30 points without Draymond Green. Guys like Draymond never forget. These guys have photographic memories. So I'm sure... The moment he saw that Murat Kogut was one of the refs on the game, he already said, oh, here we go with the bullshit. Here we go again. Here we go again. People don't forget, Tom. Elephants. People don't forget. So here we go. This right here is the fascinating thing. After that ejection in that 2020 season, the NBA did a very peculiar thing. In the 2020-21 season, do you know how many times the NBA put Kogut on Warriors games? Take a guess. Well, they assigned him, what, four games in 2019-2020? So I'm going to guess two games? I'm going to guess three, Tom. Final answers? One more than Mays. That's right. We're doing Price is Right rules. This is the worst. The answer is zero. What? Not a single game. The NBA did not put Marat Kogut on an entire season of Warriors games. Think about that. Well, how rare is that, though? Isn't that commonplace? Because it's just kind of like a, well, I guess we learned, as I said in the prior episode of Basketball Illuminati, that it is not a random distribution of refs to games. But how common is that for a ref to not catch a certain team once all season long? Well, I looked this up. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, the only team in the NBA that was not assigned to Kogut that season was the Warriors. He worked every single team in the NBA that year. Wow. Okay. Except for the Warriors. It's not like because, you know, he just wasn't, he didn't get his shot or didn't get called up to do enough game. They basically built his schedule around not refing Warriors games. Remember, we're not talking about he didn't get to be a crew chief. You're saying he didn't get to ref. He didn't even get to be part of the crew. Not once. Look, there's some of it is geographics. The fact that he lives in Brooklyn, Brooklyn based. Yeah. a lot of these East Coast refs don't go all the way to the West Coast that often. So maybe Golden State is just missed on the flight patterns or whatever. But then you find out that the guy who is refereeing the most Golden State Warriors games was Zach Zarba. He's a New York guy. New York guy. Yeah. He refed <laughs> nine games of the Golden State Warriors that season and Marat got zero, but they both live in the same city. My question is... Did the NBA know that Kogut was biased against the Warriors? Did they purposely ban him from working Golden State games because of that history? Mm -hmm. And I'm just asking questions, but I want to give some facts here. I looked up how many referees last season uh -huh. did not work a Warriors game. Maybe a bunch of refs are left off the Warriors schedule. Well, it turns out that of the 68 qualified referees, and by qualified, what I'm saying is full-time staffers that refed more than five games and weren't rookie refs. And you remember from a previous episode. Yeah, we're not talking about the people that like do G Leagues and then get called up to do a couple of NBA games here and there as the umpire, third on the totem pole. That's right. Here is a list of referees that happen to have no Warriors games on their schedule. You ready? Ready for this list? Okay. Uh-huh. Starting off the list with Marat Kogut. Marat Kogut. All yes. right. And then who else we got? Who's next? That's it. What? I swear I wouldn't do this for Basketball Illuminati, but this deserves the slide whistle. Game changer. Game changer. That's the whole list, Tom? That's it, Maze. What? Come on. You're going to have to say it to me in internet patois. That's it. That's the list. That's it.
That's the list. I'm going to repeat that. Every full-time official worked Warriors games last season, except for Marat Kogut. And Kogut worked games for every team in the NBA last season, except the Warriors. So those are the facts. It looks bad here. Did the NBA put Kogut on a one-year hiatus from working Warriors games? That, to me, acknowledges behaviorally, if not explicitly, that they know there is an issue between this ref and this team. Because if there was no issue, he would have been assigned maybe not 12 games, not nine games like Zach Zarba, but definitely not zero. And to be the only zero out of 68 full-time refs, that's what you said? Yeah. I don't know how anyone can listen to this information being put before them in black and white, all verifiable information. You go online, you can look it up yourself. How do you listen to that and say, nah, I'm sure that's just a coincidence? Well, the NBA now has got Murat Kogut doing Warriors games, right? It does not end well for Draymond Green. There have been seven games this year that Murat Kogut, after that one-year hiatus, seven games. Back to normal. Back to normal. Plenty of time for everybody to cool off and just move on and everything will be fine, right? Especially considering 1920, the Warriors didn't even play after March, so because they didn't go to the bubble. So clearly a lot of time has passed since that ejection. Right. So now everything's cool. But not everything's cool because there have been multiple flare-ups with Kogut this season. Not just Sunday, I mean, Maze. Back on December 23rd, Kogut teed Draymond up in that game and a couple weeks later teed him up again against Dallas. So in their seven games with Murat Kogut this season, the Warriors have gone... Four and three. That's not that bad. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's about 500. And maybe they played, you know, really good teams on that four and three, right? Right? No. When you look at Vegas against the spread, they're two and five with Murat Kogut on their games. And actually, if you go back even further, in their last nine games with Murat Kogut officiating, they are two and seven against the spread, the Golden State Warriors. I'm just... Putting it out there. I can't find this information publicly. I mean, I can't find it anywhere. You can't find the information about Russell Westbrook being a lefty and his career shooting as a lefty versus a righty. It's not out there, but we need to bring these facts to light. You can find it, but you got to do the legwork. And you know what the system banks on, Tom and Mays? They bank on that no one's actually going to do the legwork. They bank on you are going to take everything as presented. We used the term earlier, what, face value? Face value. That's what the league wants. They want you to take everything face value. But you do a little digging, ladies and gentlemen. You put your back hoe into it. Get underneath the surface. Get under that crust. And what you find will shock the hell out of you. Tom, you shocked the hell out of me. Keep your third eye open, everybody. You know, some people say, why, NBA? Why, Draymond? And I say, why not?
Yo, by the way, have you guys taken a stroll through the inbox lately? Not recently, not in the last 10 minutes, but I check it pretty often. You know, we've gotten questions and leads and stuff like that. And thank you to all the fans. Uh, even the feedback that's terrible. Thank you for that as well. But we got an email from a Kenneth Armstrong who asks several pointed questions. This is a good one. We'll address them at some point. But I love this email because after asking these questions, he ends the email with, I know the answers. Do you? And I swear to God, the basketball Illuminati outro music just blared through my mind as soon as I read that. Do you? Who is the real Kenneth Armstrong? Yo, Bo Jenner has <laughs> Wilt Chamberlain, too good to be true. <laughs> he ends his email with, let me be clear, I'm not saying Wilt Chamberlain didn't exist. Personally, I believe in Will Chamberlain, but I also believe that vigilant citizens need to question those in power. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> That's a I, funny one. I'm not saying Will Chamberlain didn't exist. It's <laughs> a great, great caveat. Look, look. Uh, it's just my opinion. <laughs> it's just my opinion. I don't have any inside knowledge. I don't know Will Chamberlain. I've never talked to Will Chamberlain. I've never talked to his family. Let me be clear. It's just my opinion. I'm not saying that Will Chamberlain didn't exist. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs> 